Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metzo. I hope everybody is enjoying the holiday season. Tonight, I'm going to take the liberty to read excerpts from my recently published book, Alphabet Jazz, Poetry, Prose, Stories, and Songs, available at Amazon and also The Electric Fetus, and play a couple of songs as well. I hope you enjoy it. Alphabet Jazz is a collection of poetry, prose, stories, and songs I wrote between 1984 and 2022. It started coming together in 2020 as I was preparing to move out of Minneapolis, my home since 1978. The anthology is a personal diary of sorts, midnight blasts of inspiration, love letters as poems, personal tributes, true stories, letters to editors and friends, and songs that I have written along the way and still perform. My two talented rescue dogs, Blackie, R.I.P., and Blue, still with me, each contribute a piece as well. Overall, it is also my Valentine to Minneapolis, where over the course of 40 years, I found inspiration and friendship going to start in every reading corner of with a poem that kicks off the book. I wrote it in 1995. It's called Memo from Regal Park. A dog whistle wind night, paint spray on disappearing street, arpeggio vapor trail, and a bleach blonde discount. Trini Lopez and family two, two or three cord Monty Hall, behind doors numbered two and three. Give the Chevy Nova to someone who cares or needs it, with Civil War alibis, cattle car algebra, lone street song, homeless Albert on a borrowed harp, baby blue Cadillacs, and matching lingerie, lonesome chorus, hallelujah, bunk bed, goodnight poems, ivory trinket lullaby, last trick ponies for wee small children on the subways of the damned, blue light echoes, static volume curtain call, May East or West and someone named Frenchie when you least need him. Forgive, but don't forget. Apply, but don't return. For they've taken all your numbers away. Give you a Spanish alphabet, nicknames, and a joke book. Babysitter's West Coast Dream. Cast iron ukuleles, semi-permanent straw hat, ten-star promise, and someone else's name in the witness protection program of your choice. Buy, you need more. What else is new? Straight circle overcoat, bad mustache, no bungalow for Romeo. Flophouse magazines, lemon tongue promise, a missed kiss or two, car keys and a razor blade. Hoping we'd have more to show for this. Raise your hand in a moment of silence, but don't cease to dream, for they can't steal that in our irregular moments of grace. I've included a 14-song free download if you purchase the book. If you know how to work a QR code, which I barely do, you just point your phone at it, and it will uh, take you to a website that has the songs. I also have a companion CD. If you'd like to purchase it uh, in Minneapolis, you get copies at the Electric Fetus, 
Grumpy's Bar Northeast, or Hi-Fi Heron Sound in Loring Park. I'm going to read the lyrics to a song that was the title cut off my very first record that I put out in 1984 when I was a wee young man called Paper Tigers. Justice is done when poor sheriff gets his fee. Pay the fiddler double time, only prisoners sing for free. Dead dreams swing on showbiz black shark skin. Head up the down street, G-men sell you poison gin. It's only paper tigers. It's only paper tigers. It's only paper tigers. Hawk the wigwam, shaker spirit, midnight coal. Electric Jesus got hit, neon stripped, and kicked parole. Basket men burns papoose full of perfumed owls. Sawed-off shepherd left the black sheep out to howl. It's only paper tigers. It's only paper tigers. It's only paper tigers. Blood monkey shiver, straight jacket overcoat. Invisible army is peeking through the holes. Candy cane kisses lost on losing lips. Double crosses for the misses, single file while the honey drips. It's only paper tigers. It's only paper tigers. It's only paper tigers. Pretty pennies can't buy back. Lost time, sight unseen. Wolverines surround the wagon, uptown cowgirls stream. Dynamite the doorbell, let someone paint all the windows black. Sneak out the alley, big lady autographs the gunny sack. It's only paper tigers. It's only paper tigers. It's only paper tigers. There are several tributes in the book to great musicians who I've known, loved, and had the pleasure to play with, and other friends. The musicians include people like Bill Hinckley, Willie Murphy, Willie Walker, Jeannie Peterson, and more. This is a piece towards the beginning of the book called A Farewell to Bill Hinckley, a Tribute, and then quoting him, the best music is played without pretension. I'm not sure they make men like Bill Hinckley anymore, the patriarch and godfather of Minneapolis's West Bank music scene. Hinckley was a master musician, an Air Force veteran who spoke five languages, including Greek and Mandarin Chinese, a self-taught multi-instrumentalist, a human jukebox of thousands of songs, a storyteller, teacher, sit-down comedian, historian, hero, devoted lover, then husband to Judy Larson for five decades, and mentor and friend to hundreds of musicians and thousands of fans. He was both Will Rogers with a mandolin and a philosopher king who held sway in saloons, concert halls, on radio shows, around campfires and kitchen tables, at festivals and benefits, the kind of American who defines this country and one I was honored to call my friend. Hinckley, who died Tuesday at age 67, had been fighting a blood disorder for the past couple of years that sapped his strength, but never his love for music or his God-given calling to entertain and enlighten with his encyclopedic knowledge of music. 
in all styles, from every corner, and in all time signatures. As a performer, he swung and improvised with an abandon that reminded one of Joe Venuti, Django Reinhardt, the Mississippi, or the Mississippi Sheiks. He could quote anyone from Shakespeare to Dick Tracy. He had a sense of humor that recalled at turns the likes of Mark Twain, H.L. Mencken, or Lord Buckley. And believe me, you have not lived until you've heard Bill Hinckley and Judy Larson sing Amazing Grace to the melody of the Gilligan Islands theme. Simply brilliant. A Twin Cities musician friend referred to Hinckley as our Socrates. Witnessing the dozens of friends who made the pilgrimage to Hinckley's hospice at the Minneapolis Veterans Medical Center, most with instruments in hand to serenade and play with him when he was able, confirm that. It was a Folkies Nordic Viking ritual to bid farewell to the king. As we assembled there in the community room on May 20th, right before dinner, the wheelchairs of disabled fellow vets rolled in. You could sense a, a solidarity with one of their own, brothers in arms, enjoying the fruits and flowering of their service and sacrifice via Brother Bill. I recently learned that Hinckley attended the same St. Louis grade school as John Hartford, the Mississippi River banjo virtuoso. This makes perfect sense. Both were masters steeped in the grand tradition of folk music, and they shared an abiding love for American culture, music, and history. They passed on the love and knowledge to a couple of generations of musicians. It is now our obligation to do the same. Hinckley's greatest lessons to me were distilled in two simple concepts, and every story with a smile or a laugh, and the best music is played without pretension. While Hinckley and Judy Larson never got rich playing folk music, he was never in the music business, but rather in the business of making music, a servant to the song. All of us got richer listening to them play. This next is a piece I wrote after spending an incredible night, if not a tad frightening, with songwriters Guy Clark, Towns Van Zandt, the greatest American folk singer, Spider John Kerner, and myself. And it goes like this. It's called A Night to Remember. I spent one of the most amazing, if not times harrowing nights of my life in 1990 or so with the late greats Guy Clark and Towns Van Zandt. They were in town for a show and happened into the Five Corners where I had a weekly Tuesday night gig, 237 consecutive ones, I might add. They were riding a deep whiskey wave on a mission from God to find Spider John Kerner. I had met them both briefly before and was delighted to tell them that Spider might be bartending across the street at Palmer's Bar. Sure enough, John was there, and when I got off my gig, I walked over for last call. One thing led to another, and the four of us found ourselves downtown at the Radisson Hotel with a bottle of whiskey, a few party favors, and our guitars. 
At about two in the morning, they asked John to play a few, and then the guitar started to get passed around. A song each, and a pull of whiskey. I played one of mine about every third go-around and let the masters hold sway. Towns was adamant that there be no cussing, and after my first tune said, that ain't nothing but hogwash. <laughs> nothing like getting seriously dissed by the Jesus of songwriters. The next time around, some, I summoned courage from the Cuddy Sark. I played my tune, Jack Ruby, which I had recently finished. After that, town said, now that's better, much better. The night continued to pick up steam. Each song played became a golden link in this beautifully surreal magic chain. And as I stumbled onto Hennepin Avenue to cab it home, I was so amazed by it all, I wondered if it actually happened. It did, and it remains one of my sweetest musical memories. It was what it is all about. This is a poem I wrote for a lovely girlfriend who I spent seven or eight wonderful years with. Her name was Amy, and the title of the poem is Amy. I was just about to write you a poem that I would read to you while we sat on your father's broken swing. And when the wind woke and caused it to sway and swing from side to side, if there ever were sides as in a perfect world, there aren't just birds far above us that float and glide in all directions. As there are many ways to go, and trust me, nothing but open sky, through windows without curtains, when dusk and dawn, daylight and sundowns become the perfect moment and most invisible. Out of the closet come all ghosts that need nothing more than someone braver than them, and then to become who they are in dance and silent poetry. Those songs, those loud guitars, sung in gutters, and on those nights with 100 stars, and the rest in castles, then in clouds, some still left to play. And when we find them, I will play both mine and them for you. Welcome back to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metza. I hope uh, you don't mind indulging me as I read from my recently published book, Alphabet Jazz, Poetry, Prose, Stories, and Songs, and play a few of my own recordings tonight. We hope everybody's been enjoying uh, this December, and you will be enjoying, I hope as well, the upcoming holiday. This is a poem simply called Morning Poem. Ask Studs Turkle where the line between work and life is drawn. Even he couldn't tell you, nor would he want to. One song ends and another begins, and you can play them both on the same guitar that sounds better when borrowed, the best when given away. Angels dance in alleys and sometimes never dance at all. Main Street at its best has been all about madness. That's why they call it Main Street. The moon hovers over, not because it has to, but because it wants to. Morning comes eventually over lakes, rivers, cities, and between trees soon enough to all fall down. 
because the water tells that story. It sounds like ringing in our ears. It sounds like cathedral bells and ambulances and cop cars. But eventually, when the coffee gets cold, it sounds like ourselves, and we realize we sound like everybody else. In 1992, Bob Dylan was doing a five-night stand at the Orphan Theater in downtown Minneapolis. The week before, City Pages ran a front-page article about Dylan saying, should this man be euthanized? I was so disgusted by that article, I wrote a letter to the editor. And by the way, those five Dylan shows were amazing. This is the letter I wrote to City Pages called Dylan Still a Hepcat. Although Bob Dylan certainly needs no one to defend him, I still take issue with Burl Ives Gilliard's shallow musings and cavalier dismissal of the modern Jewish troubadour. His story, The Traveling Wilbury, Should This Man Be Euthanized, contained a series of cheap shots typical of the most quasi-hip channel-surfing music critic. He hastily concludes Dylan's forte is not live performance. After seeing him at the Hubert Humphrey Metrodome, and at the St. Paul Riverfest. Those formats are akin to seeing a Boris Spassky chess demonstration at the Mall of America, and who wouldn't be a bit shaken by being trapped in a Teflon prison with 50,000 acid-soaked deadheads with the acoustics of your basic air hanger. And Riverfest will be Riverfest, whether it's Dylan or an MTV track show. His forte is the two to three thousand seat theater where the subtleties of his performance come out. Sure, Dylan may not be as prolific in his later years as he was during his, his initial creative surge, but to dismiss anything after Blood on the Tracks is complete balderdash. Dylan is both an experiment and testament to whether rock and roll will survive middle age. Though not always grateful, I believe you either accept rock and roll as a viable, breathing, evolving form of American music, or you don't. Embarrassingly, Gilliard asked the sniveling question, why bother? Could it be, perhaps, this is how the man makes his living and that he likes to play? After writing more than 500 songs, destroying Tin Pan Alley, creating an entirely new form of the American popular song, and perhaps changing America in the process, maybe we could give Dylan both respect and the benefit of the doubt. Let him strap on a Stratocaster and let him play whatever he likes. You don't have to see God, and it doesn't have to change your life. But what is wrong with luxuriating in the power of pure poetry with a cat who was obviously born to rock and roll and still does? Letter to the Editor, City Pages, Minneapolis, Minnesota, September 10th, 1992. 
This was another letter I wrote to an editor, this time to the great music magazine No Depression. It appeared in the issue that came out December 2002. It's called From Russia with Love, A Songwriter's Story. Three years ago, I was hired to play at a nightclub in Siberia. I arrived at the Minneapolis-St. Paul International Airport with a guitar, my suitcase, and a 70-pound duffel bag filled with gifts from an American grandmother to Russian granddaughters she had yet to meet. I bullied these through security, customs, two five-hour layovers, countless time zones, and at least two languages, one of which I did not speak. On my final flight from Moscow to Novosibirsk, I was dog-tired but too overwhelmed by the experience to sleep. There happened to be only one passenger still up at that ungodly hour. He was a Russian gentleman who appeared to be around 70, dressed in what could only be called peasant clothes, bopping his bald head wildly to modern headphones. The seat next to him was empty. I sat down, and he offered me a pull of what seemed to be moonshine in an unlabeled bottle. After trying small talk, I realized all we had was insomnia in common, but no common language. He looked like my grandfather, but was dancing in his seat like a teenager. I was filled with trepidation about playing for a foreign audience in a country I grew up fearing and flush with fatigue. After a few more pulls off the bottle, he offered me his headphones. Like a huge light at the end of a dark psychic tunnel, I put on the headphones and was stunned to hear America's favorite baritone sing, I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. Johnny Cash as universal language. I shook his hand, smiled, returned the headphones, and fell soundly to sleep. Berlin Wall, be damned. Here's another poem I wrote for my good friend and wonderful abstract expressionist artist and painter, James Reggae. It's called Yellow, Red, and Blue. We did our best work after midnight, just beyond last call, while the moon winked at us kindly and gave us a solid pass. The sunrise soon to kick our ass, tipped our money in both our pockets, will be spent soon enough. The money never mattered, that night or any other day. The invisible beauty between both still and beating hearts, liquid vibration and lines of love, Art and life in common, we talked about our mothers. We shared the latest dirty joke. Played bebop jazz on the midnight radio. Just loud enough to not wake Babe, the octogenarian landlady who loved Danny Kay. Off in dreamland after listening to Boris Karloff, real to real tapes from another time. By firelight Tiffany Lamps would soon be enjoying her daybreak breakfast, always a banana and oatmeal, there is a lesson in that. For us, more brown whiskey medicine. As you deconstructed abstract expressions by Rothko, Pollock, and your favorite, Franz Klein, 
spontaneous brushstrokes and splashes all touching the divine, your eye-jazz paintings, my Iron Range Prairie songs. As we encouraged each other, and dare I say, learn from each other as well. We stared into that crystal ball, knowing 30 years from now, you'd still be dripping paint, my song still bouncing off the wall. And so it is, my friend, nothing ever changed. Brother to brother, midnight chance, before that stumble home. Preserved now an electrum amber, and all things being equal, we beat the effing odds. Here's a song I uh, wrote and recorded the night before the lockdown started in uh, 2021. It's called You Can't Be Brave If You're Not Scared. You can't be brave if you are not scared. Well, the day is dark But the night is darker The honeybee Stays in its hide Well the whippoorwill Will sing tomorrow For those who ever Well, you must be kidding. 
this coat of steel which I wear Put this down On my rusted tombstone You can't be brave If you're not scared You can't be brave If you're not scared You can't be brave If you're not scared Welcome back to the second half of the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metza, taking the liberty of reading several pieces from my new book, Alphabet Jazz, available on Amazon and also at the Electric Fetus. This piece is called Walk and the Dog. Helicopters circle sleeping neighborhoods. Lone dog walker, patient as pup smells every bush and fire hydrant. Moon playing Pinnacle with next-door planets. Mars wails like stardust Buddha, waiting for time to tell, though it never does. Gravel alleys betray their small stones and bottle cap moments, wishing in broken clock time for hooves of bygone horses to walk again upon them with a democratic gait, heads held high and manes softly rustled by forgiving winds. Catholic church ladies, some in shawls, some not. Church organ moaned deeply from a secret place, milkmen at the ready. While these church ladies, both ready to confess and then replace, young soldiers now just in baby cribs, years later in Fort Bragg or some other place, the world it turns slowly now. And before I rest my case, these images roll around my head. I hope for something that comes after them, something golden, or at least as meaningful, or at least break even, or at least something to take their place. My first rescue dog was named Blackie. I wrote this uh, midnight missive to my sister Jackie, and this piece is called Blackie and Woman's Tears, a letter to my sister. Dearest Jackie, So I had the kind of a week last week, nothing worth going into, nothing out of the usual, a little heartbreak, and the music biz with another kick to this well-worn ass. A little dust up with the greatest sister God has had the grace to give me, and dad going to the doctor, which works out well, but reminds me of his and our fragility. So this week starts a little better, because like they say, what a difference a day makes. Renee came over last night. She had finally finished Blackie's Christmas letter, or maybe by now his St. Patrick's letter, as we're always a little late with that. She has a little belly on her, due in July. She looks beautiful, and I wonder why in the hell 
I was not able to give my heart to this Oklahoma rose. She helped me set up my computer, and we get caught up on family, and I go out and buy her a candy bar. Blackie, who I dressed in a snazzy red kerchief for the occasion, as usual goes crazy when he sees her. If not for her, there wouldn't be him. He is such a ladies' man. He jumps up and down, does the blackie dance, and snuggles up to her and rubs against her, looking into her eyes with those beautiful brown moonbeam eyes of his. They adore each other. May my own memory someday serve me as well. Before she leaves, and he knows when she is going, he goes back to her for a last round of doggy hugs. She reaches down to give him a goodbye embrace. She is living by herself, and she tells me that things are fine between her and her fiancé, but in retrospect, I don't know if I noticed her new engagement ring. And maybe, and I hope, she was still wearing it. As she hugs him, I notice she is crying, and a tear drops down on Blackie's nose, which he recently bruised in Heather's kennel in Duluth. The skin is worn off, and if it doesn't grow back, it is cute enough. I know her hormones are doing the mommy dance. She does love and miss Blackie, and maybe something more. I do not know. Perhaps it is the dew of hearts in passing. We did share family, the three of us, for a couple of years, sweet as the fruit of Eden. And Blackie had both a mom and dad. And she is moving on, a little girl growing within her. And I am an emotional weakling, swinging from the branch of fate, ready to drop at the slightest hint of wind. It was but a minute in an 1890-built house somewhere in northeast Minneapolis. But I am no stronger today than yesterday. And I am reminded and remembering there is nothing stronger than a woman's tears. And I try to stay strong in this wicked world. So I come home tonight, and Blackie has had his way with the garbage can. Coffee grounds, cigarette butts, and empty tin cans strewn across the kitchen. I have a piece of prime rib, a leftover from a friend's plate at Nye's Polonaise Room. I was there on business, no really. That I'm ready to share with Blackie, but I'm trying to find the responsibility within myself to discipline my dog. He meets me in the kitchen, I see the mess, and I raise my voice. Blackie looks at me with those same brown eyes and shudders like he must have when he was kept outdoors all day and night in the icy northern Minnesota rain, when nobody came to play and he felt no human hand on his musty fur and wondered why no one was there to love him. He backs into and under the desk, knowing he did something wrong, but in doggy logic had no idea what. It was, after all, the smell of food at nose level. It is not the first time he has eaten out of a garbage can. I pour a glass of wine, run upstairs to make sure my new renter has all the keys for all the doors, and come back down. 
Blackie has moved to the bedroom on his green Mexican ratty quilt on the floor. I go in, kneel down, and tell him why garbage driving is not what good dogs do. He looks up to me and I pretend he at least understands a bit of what I am saying. His brown eyes tell me he might be lying, but also tell me tells me he loves me nonetheless. I go to the fridge, grab the prime rib, and split it with him, piece by piece, cross-legged on the floor. He is now sleeping under the desk. I will go to Menards tomorrow and buy a metal trash can with a lid so as not to tempt him. It is a dog's world, and I am all right with that. I admire him from my chair, his paw softly beneath his jaw, dreaming those doggy dreams of trash cans with no lids, his mother in every room, and presumably peace on earth. And the bruise on his nose seems to disappear, perhaps slowly being cured by the rare visits of his loving mother's salty tears. I wrote a book called Blue Guitar Highway, published by the University of Minnesota Press in 2011. They are re-releasing it on paperback in the spring of 2023. I wrote a song to go along with it, so when I bring the whole show to Broadway, I'll be able to recite the book, have a play, and this will be the theme song. Ladies and gentlemen, my song, Blue Guitar Highway. Guitar Highway, Blue Guitar Highway. That's where I'm gonna stay. Blue Guitar Highway, Blue Guitar Highway. That's where I'm gonna stay. On the Blue Guitar.
Thanks for listening to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. I enjoyed reading excerpts from my book, Alphabet Jazz, to you this evening, playing a couple of songs. You can order Alphabet Jazz Poetry, Prose Stories, and Songs on Amazon or get it in Minneapolis at the Electric Fetus, Grumpy's Bar Northeast, or Hi-Fi Heron Records in Loring Park. The show was produced by Paul Metza, engineered by John Yellowcloud Saristo. We hope everybody's enjoying the holidays. 2023 is going to be really kick butt. And like my dad used to tell me, remember to be kind and make someone happy.